0: Welcome to the Way Niagara podcast. I'm your host Jordan Bird. i here with Chris Doglish and Steve Lamar. A bit later on, Chris will sit down with a special guest who is making an impact in his local community. But to get started, we are going to continue our conversation around Sky Jatani's book, What If Jesus Was Serious About the Church? And the point we're going to start with today is if Jesus was serious, then our goal should be more than just attending church. And isn't that The way that most conversations about church start. I know typically when I talk to someone, another believer maybe, that the question becomes, which church do you attend? Which church do you go to?
1: Yeah, it's interesting that uh, we use that almost as a qualifier. Oh, well, I go to this church, therefore I am like these people, right? This kind of almost goes back to that conversation about the the bus. You know, who's, who's driving the bus and who's letting you on the bus? And when I look at this kind of thinking, right, it's almost like a badge of office or a caste system, right, which is you know, heavily frowned upon and very unbiblical. But the beauty of the kingdom is that it allows us to be the church with people from all different denominations and faith backgrounds um, and different ways of thinking. <coughs> and uh, what's really crazy is, uh, Sky brings this up in the book, You know, Mark Twain said, "I never let schooling interfere with my education." So the amount of going to school, you know, and being indoctrinated in these different topics doesn't feed the way that he learns. He learns from the world around him. He learns from the community. He learns from from his own levels of study and discourse. And I think that's how we, as the church, or as individuals of the kingdom of God have to be we have to be able to go okay this is this is the surface level teaching I might be getting here or um you know you know really what it comes back to is discipleship if you're not being discipled you can go to any church you can wear any badge and you might not have the ability to grow beyond where you you yourself are capable of uh, of taking taking yourself Because actually, in my experience, having someone push you, having someone reframe what you think you've learned, and then throw it back at you with with kind of that, but what about this? That's where I find discipleship is important. When people are willing to walk beside you and say, you know what, you think this way, but it might not be the case. And as I've let more people into my life and into my circle, people from different denominational backgrounds, or people you know who are experiencing different different uh, trends in their faith and faith walk, it really helps me to kind of go, well, what do I actually believe about that? Is it biblically founded? Is it, or is it just because some Sunday school teacher somewhere told me that this is what I believe and then gave me a cookie? Right? Like, it's it's a really interesting, um, thought provoking. A moment to realize our journey is about discovery. It's about finding the truth while we're here in our circles and in our community. And if we don't have people nudging us, multiple voices nudging us, then we sound like one voice, right? And that's where indoctrination happens, right? That's where, we're, where we were talking about politicalization Happens, or or, uh, Christian nationalism happens is because you're hearing one voice and that voice is united. Therefore, that must be the truth. But when you're able to to hear other voices and to weigh out through your own spiritual conviction, yes, this is the truth. This is what I need to help me grow. That's when we find ourselves kind of free, right? Because we're able to go, well, actually, I believe this. One of the greatest losses of, of our time is apologetics. The ability to explain why we believe what we believe.
2: I will say quickly, I love that no matter which point comes up, you and I have very similar but differing points to draw out. And this one for me, when I was going through it, I see a lot of the potential of community being spoken to here. Where this isn't just about showing up on a Sunday or whenever your church service is, doing church and being done for the week Uh, this is about living in community this is about showing the love of christ in all things not just that sunday experience you know you could be the best volunteer you could give yourself seven days a week to the church but if you're not actually building in your community what's the point
0: yeah and it makes me think about in acts 2 how you know god added to their number daily well how is that even possible if we are not in community daily, if we just leave it at Sunday yeah. <laughs> and we just leave it at the kind of stage facing things, mm-hmm. we don't get to that
1: point. Yeah. Well, I think it's to, just to kind of sum it up and make us really simple. If Jesus was serious, then our goal should be more than attending church. It should be discipleship, being discipling others also and being discipled.
0: In a world of on-demand TV on every device that you have, fast food that's available 24-7, there's a certain point to which we have lost our ability to think communally. Mm. And that kind of, we kind of have to wrestle with that when we see this next point in the book that says, if Jesus was serious, then following Jesus is not about me, it's about us.
1: Mm. Yes. Yes. We witness daily consumption of singular cultural and faith-based uh, things served to us whether it's a book we're reading uh, you know some people right now in because Jan- of January might be fasting uh, with their church or you know they're all watching um, individual Netflix consuming different shows like what's incredible is that Right now in our culture, everything assumes a personal desire to engage singularly. I engage my culture, I engage my world, I engage my faith, I engage my circles on a personal level. But the New Testament was very different. The New Testament church was very heavily centered on pluralism, saying we, us, and our And their faith was communal that was together, it was breaking bread, like we we've brought up in various uh, previous points. Numbers were being added daily to the growth of their their community, because they were doing community well. And when you do community well, and when you use that word community, which is one of our core values, it assumes not a singular identity, but a plural identity, because individually, you can't be a community. Right? You just can't, unless you're, unless you're playing like uh, Animals Crossing on your, on your Switch. You can create a community, but it's not real. So, so when we talk about community as one of our core values, we're talking about a plural. We want people to come and engage together, consume together, talk together, feast together, fast together. But that's a group choice right? When you come and engage together, that that group choice, that group sacrifice of time to come together to meet, to worship, to pray, to eat, removes the singularism where you're doing it at your convenience.
2: I'd say one thing that sticks out to me in this section is when Sky talks about the apostles and points out that these letters that we see written, I'm going to use Galatians because we just went through it. Paul's writing to Galatia. He is not writing to the pastor that runs the church he is not writing to the individual church member that comes out every week he is writing to the whole church and that is what we see through the new testament is these messages that are for the we it is not about the me
0: and that brings us to our next point that if jesus was serious then the church is where we wrestle with god together and sky has some really interesting points here so Steve, can you just read that excerpt that we were talking about before we hit record?
2: What if everything really is meaningless? This is a central struggle of faith. Is there a God-directed arc to the universe? A purpose that is hidden, but will be revealed with time? Or is the arc itself an illusion, and the cosmos are ruled by an unsympathetic, unbending line perpetually pointing to chaos? As we face the trials and triumphs of life... We all wrestle with the question in our souls, both believers and non-believers, Christians and atheists. Some think that to believe in God means no longer struggling with these deep questions of meaning, that somehow the true Christian never knows doubt. That is untrue. Being a Christian simply means we've shifted the focus of our struggle. As Eugene Peterson said, believers argue with God, skeptics argue with each other.
0: As you were reading that, Steve, I was thinking about how we all have doubts. We all have questions of faith. And the question that we need to reflect on in those moments is how do we process those things in a healthy way? And also, how do we process those things together in community?
1: I think this is where we have to just pause and allow you as the listener to process your own doubts and your own struggles with belief Uh, i believe that it's up to us to petition god to provide us the answers we believe that god is is real that he's listening that he's speaking and that he's interacting and through your discourse with other humans or with through your studies of the scripture or simply that still small voice that might speak to you in your moment It's God's job to answer the question. And when we go to others and we we hunt the source with others, we're only going to hear their own skeptical argument. So I, I would say as a believer, as someone who's trying to believe, as someone who is in maybe different areas of their faith had to suspend disbelief and just allow the acceptance of something, let the Holy Spirit, In your own time of petitioning, provide the answer and share your doubts with those you trust the most so that they might pray with you, pray for you, and not necessarily answer those questions because it's not really their job, it's God's job, but they might speak just a little bit of truth through their own experience.
0: I think about the passage that says, I believe, help my unbelief that's right we all have these moments and what we're trying to say here is don't be anxious about that don't be upset about that Mm -hmm. maybe even right now you need to take a moment to pause and just reflect on that and have a couple moments with the Lord and see what he has to say because that is far more important than what we have to say we're not going to try to answer all of life's questions but we are on that quest together Mm -hmm. to hear from the Lord amen A phrase that really hits home for me is it's very hard to be angry at someone you're praying for. Hmm. And I even think back to something that happened not that long ago where I was having some conflict with someone. And I actually had the opportunity not just to pray for them in my own heart, but actually with them in the room. And that really did break down the barriers um, of how I was feeling. And yeah, there may still be a situation that needs to be dealt with. You might still need to have boundaries with someone you know for safety or anything things like that but it at least changes our heart's perspective allows a new and revived sense of peace within our hearts and that kind of leads into this point here that says if jesus was serious then the church is where we find and pray for our enemies mm. why is it so important to find and pray for our enemies
1: Yeah, I think uh, if you kind of read this question wrong, you'd be like, oh, well, I I can find my enemies in the church, (laughs) right? Is, Is that not what it says? Then the church is where we find and pray for our enemies. No, like what it means is you're going to discover who those enemies are because the church is helping you to frame your identity. And as you're discipled, that's really what is happening in the community. You are framing your identity. Discovering who you are in Christ and how you connect and and interact with the kingdom of heaven here on earth. And that's a beauty. But in that, you find conflict. You find conflict in your own personal identity and in that communal identity where outside people might uh, project something onto you negatively because they don't understand you. And I find as a pastor of over 20 years, most conflicts I've ever had to deal with were 100% a misunderstanding or a miscommunication. lack of communication typically would drive that. And so what Sky is bringing up here is that you're not going to technically find your enemies within your church circle. You might some, but where you find them is, is in framing up what you actually hold as your core values and then finding the conflict that outside of that And then being able to pray for those people that create that conflict. Because we really just, as humans, do not like conflict. We don't like chaos. We don't like anxiety. We don't like uh, anything that causes us to spend more energy thinking about it than the already chaotic, anxious pieces of our existence. Groceries, taxes, paying bills. All of these things are already bringing just just a little bit of chaos into our life. So when, when people that are even in our own churches or in our circles, bring us that bit of conflict and a bit of, of chaos. It actually hurts a lot more. It's just compounding something that we already have to live with daily. And so I think one of the beauties of prayer is that it's offering your 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 hurts, your hang ups to God and allowing him to bring healing, to bring peace. You know, it says that he's the Prince of Peace, He's our Comforter, He's Almighty God. He He knows He everything before we even walk it. And so, therefore, when we bring Him our prayers and pray for our enemies, pray for those that bring conflict to us, His role is to bring that peace. His role is to bring the peace into that conflict, to bring the light into the darkness. And it might not be an easy transition for you to become a peacemaker. But you have to find the people that fuel the chaos. And if they're constantly fueling the chaos, you might have to cut them out of your life a bit. Until God's brought healing or brought some mending into those situations. And I think that as a pastor that was a hard thing for me to learn. Cause a lot of time there was people that I would be leaning on for leadership, for, for support in the ministry that brought a lot of chaos with them. And so I had to distance myself from their chaos in order to love them more. And I had to pray for them in order to love them more. And as I prayed for them and loved them and distanced myself for them, I felt grace to go back and to re-engage them.
0: And that leads into the other point too, that says, if Jesus was serious, then the church is united in love. And not in anger. That's right. You're not going to be able to pastor well if you're angry with Pete, with people. No. Right? Like, we need to remember mm-hmm. that even in the midst of our enemies, I think of Psalm 23, that where the Bible says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Mm-hmm. When I first heard that, I'm like, man, that would be awkward. Yeah. But if we're accompanied by the Prince of Peace and we have the love of God within us, and we are in a position where we are praying for our enemies, those enemies might just become friends. Mm -hmm. You know, there is yes, there is a point that we can forgive on our own, and we can choose to have peace on our own. But reconciliation really does take two because there has to be a common understanding. But So there is that possibility Mm -hmm. that there could be a welcoming back of someone that you've had to distance yourself from. But there might not be. And sometimes we need to be okay with and at peace with Mm. that messy reality.
2: I'm going to take a slightly different direction than what we've been going. And I'm actually going to step into this from a practical experience standpoint. Um, So with my mental health issues, anger is a common problem for me. And I actually have specialized training from a few pastors that I was working with on this anger on how to pray for people that you're not on the same side with. So to give you a short, short version, first thing I do whenever I feel angry with someone about a situation, I go to God and I pray, God, here's why I'm angry. Here's why I feel justified in my anger. Please help me to see their side. Help me to understand where is this disconnect? Guide me, lead me, take me, and help me to understand this person more. And as the days go on, I focus my prayer more on them as an individual. God, I may not be happy with this person, but take care of them today. Bless them today. I just want you to be a part of this situation. I want you to reconcile where you can. And sometimes it's going to take months. Sometimes it's going to take years. But if you are invested in that relationship, invest in healing from the anger. Yeah, one of the things that I experienced
1: frequently was sitting around a staff table and having conversations about what we would call EGRs, extra grace required. There were certain individuals that you just needed a lot more grace with. You'd see them coming towards you. You knew they had something on their mind that they were gonna share with you and that it really had no impact on, on anything but their own personal opinion of you and the way you were doing things. And uh, what I found around that table was interesting Very frequently, we would all have a different person that we were uh, desiring extra grace for. And we might have a different experience of how we interact with that person. And then there were a few that everyone knew was an EGR, that they needed extra grace. And so in that, you could find the conflict that it's a personal thing, if no one else is experiencing conflict with that person. And that's when it really would hit you like, I need to work on this relationship, I need to pray into this relationship. And sometimes you'll never understand their perspective. And that's okay. I think that's part of part of what we were talking about, when it comes to, you know, you're you're defining yourself in the within the community and sometimes people have defined themselves solely as an individual consumer rather than a part of a, a consumer of, of what the the united group is doing and therefore they become kind of an outsider and they like to push those outsider boundaries and buttons because they demand the, the their own co- level of consumpt- consumption and and comfort but as we grow as a united body we have to be okay with that level of conflict right praying for our enemies hurting a bit together but it's we're in this together right
2: Mm -hmm.
0: and that's really the important part is that we're doing this together and sometimes there is extra grace required and i just want to encourage um, anyone that's listening right now to maybe even take a moment to to pause and to reflect on that to think about who is someone that is kind of an extra grace required person and maybe even consider the fact that for some that's you. And if you find yourself in a position where you're starting to see that you are an extra grace required person, you know, what, what does that mean? And how can you process that? And how can there be re- redemption in that? Because we all need grace. And I think we all have moments where we need even more grace than we realize. But the good news is, is that we have a God that died on the cross for us just precisely for that reason. Because we all need grace. We all need what we do not deserve. Mm -hmm. And that is why we can be grateful to God for who He is and what He did for us.
1: Yes. If you've been floating around Way Niagara, you know one of our core values, the thing that we put our time, our money, and our energy into is community. And I've invited one of my friends, uh, my neighbor, Mike Alexander, to come by today uh, to share with us how he serves our community in one of what I think is one of the coolest programs. Now if you know me at all, you know I grew up riding bikes, riding BMX, uh, getting beat up, tearing my knees off, um, and Mike was very much the same. Uh, a little, little bit older, but he, uh, he, he's doing something really special here for West Niagara. So I wanted to bring him in to kind of share uh, what's been going on with Mike Alexander.
3: Good morning. Um, nice to uh, have me. Thanks. So. I, I like being here. Um, this is about the Broken Spoke um, bicycle program. That's right. Um, this was a program that it helps the community, um, by cleaning things out of the dump, gets bikes that would be thrown away, and we get them, we refurbish them, and we try and get them back into the community as best as we possibly can. Uh, it started in Port Colborne, which was kind of cool. Uh, it's in a high school up there, so kids are able to get a credit for it, and then, uh we we again just are able to help out the community get things into different programs we even get them to different countries which is kind of cool we're yeah. we're in as many kind of little avenues as we can to just get people rolling and riding bikes it's mm-hmm. just something i've always loved like you said you know from being a kid just something that makes you have fun to get out there and feel a little bit of independence.
1: That's right. Uh, Tell us more about uh, giving them to other countries. I've seen you sending off wheelchairs. I've seen you sending off all kinds of cool things.
3: Yeah well that's it. It's not just bicycles anymore. That's kind of how the program started off but as we got going we realized that there was other things that people were throwing away at the landfills that we could get and refurbish up and the wheelchairs walkers were kind of a great thing to be able to add. Mm -hmm. Uh, The program is 13 years old. It started In Port Colborne by Aubrey Foley. He Mm -hmm. did the first five years out of his garage, kind of the way I'm doing it at my place for now. Uh, After that, he got into the high school, which was great. He had a conversation with the principal. She loved the idea of the program, and that kids could have a different form of shop instead Mm -hmm. of just having to play with the engines. Um, So they get course credits, which is kind of neat. And then We're in 19 different agencies within the Niagara region. Uh, We ship offshore to Cuba, Haiti, Africa, the Philippines, and recently the Ukraine has also been a new destination for us. Um, We provide wheelchairs, walkers, crutches, canes, and various other medical devices uh, through uh, a program in um, Niagara Falls and we deal with the needy not the greedy as well mm-hmm. which is mm-hmm. another group out there that helps provide wheelchairs and other medical uh, needs for people in the region fantastic The uh, what is it there is a group here, it's Walker uh, Walker Brothers Waste Management in Thorold. Mm-hmm. Um, they are part of a group where they send containers of just anything that they can possibly get their hands on. So it's medical supplies, bicycles, and just whatever we can possibly have around here that we may look at as something that's unusable, but for other places in the, in the country and in the world, it's something of great need for people. So that's kind of fun to be able to repurpose things that way.
1: Yeah. How long have you been giving uh, bikes out of your place here to like Niagara, Grimsby, Western? I've been
3: doing it for 10 years mm-hmm. now. Um, I got started as I had a bicycle racing team that dealt with the local area. And I thought I, I went to the dump and there was a bike being thrown out. And I thought, this is crazy. It can't just throw out a good bike. Yeah. So I asked if I could take it so I could teach my team members how to refurbish bikes. And then we would give it back to a track. And Uh, the guy kind of just went for a break and went in my truck and as I was leaving I found out that Aubrey had started this program Mm. and so I got in touch with him and he said you know no problem we'll get you some kids bikes to get you going so it was kind of good the first couple of years that we were helping the local tracks out and then at the end of the year those bikes were given away to the kids that came to the track and couldn't afford bikes Mm -hmm. which was really kind of neat and then after a few years Uh, He realized that I was moving a fair bit of bikes and starting to get into more of the adult bikes as well I was being asked for. So I've gotten the facility down here on uh, Niagara 12th Street Mm -hmm. in Grimsby, West Lincoln, Smithville area. And that's where I get most of my bikes from. He deals with the places up in uh, the Niagara region. Mm -hmm. And we've just recently picked up a program that's going to be starting in September in Dunville. Oh, cool. So any of the the local dumps in these areas are ones that are accepting bicycles for this program. That's awesome.
1: How would you say COVID affected uh, what we're doing here?
3: Initially, it was great. Mm -hmm. Um, The first year of COVID was... Incredible, everybody was staying home and they couldn't really do anything. You weren't allowed to go anywhere, but you were allowed to be healthy and exercise. Mm -hmm. So I couldn't keep bites, bites that used to stick around for three or four days were gone in minutes. Yeah, the, my quickest bike was ten minutes from being posted to <laughs> gone in and, and away with somebody. Is it
1: me they grabbed it? <laughs> <laughs> no, actually,
3: and it was it was just somebody who happened to be driving around, but a few of them definitely made their way down here that's as well. Hilarious. Uh, it, it was great. The the second year it kind of died off a bit, but with cycling, skateboarding most sports, mm-hmm. they've run on a four to five year curve of popularity that's and right. unpopularity. And the biking world is just starting to come back now because COVID really did a lot for the bike shops of just shutting them down and people weren't able to get anything. Yes. So for my used program, it was great because you couldn't find new bikes anywhere. That's right. So now it's a matter of people are, are kind of getting back to being able to buy, but they're still appreciative of the yep. free bike program.
1: And I think what some people don't realize is that you and I saw was it's really hard to get parts like what was it tubes and tires like the rubber parts are what's hard to
3: manufacture mm-hmm. in, in this area because they were do- all done overseas. Right. So any of the, the ma- ma- North American manufacturers had all the metal parts for the bikes, but things like grips, seats, brake cables, the the, mm-hmm. the casings, not the cable, and that's what was keeping them from being able to put bikes together. It's crazy. Uh, it, it, it was kind of nuts. And then the demand for bikes went up 300%. Mm-hmm. And it's still kind of in that demand. There's just market has to catch back up so yeah it's an odd thing that people want the bikes and then you get out and you can't get the bikes but then you get them
1: places to ride like last year we gave away 15 bikes at christmas through way this year we gave away 30 bikes at christmas through way how many bikes do you think you would give away in a year
3: on average it's I'd say about six to seven hundred. Cheaper. Um it, it all depends. Some years when I was with the track it was a lot more because I was traveling. So I'd go to a race in in Montreal and I'd load up a truck full of bikes and you know, drop off twenty-five bikes the next nice weekend. Stuff. I got another truck full of bikes. Yeah. It it was kind of nice. I'm getting back into racing again this year, so hopefully I'll be back into that getting to push the bikes a little further away cool. but it's also the donations the, yep. the first year of covid it kind of shut things down a lot and mm-hmm. thankfully we had a fair supply from the previous years we're just starting to see that that rebirth of people putting the bikes in the right place to get recycled out to our programs
1: yeah so if people have bikes they want to donate or they want to donate uh, to help out how would they do that? Do they contact you through the Facebook page? or? There's a
3: Facebook page for the Grimsby Broken Spoke yes. as well as the Port Colburn Broken Spoke. There is a spot at Port Colburn High School in the back near the uh, running ring. And it's kind of down a little bit, but you can see the blue doors. And there's bike racks there, so you can accept them there. There are four locations in the Niagara region. And there's the Dunville site. Uh, There are three dumps there that are picking things up. And then there's the Niagara Region 12, which is the one I deal with here in Grimsby. Mm
1: -hmm. So if you have a bike and you want to donate it to the program, you can reach out to Mike through... Uh, the Facebook Grimsby group, or you can even uh, reach out to me through way at admin at wayniagara.ca and I will happily uh, pick up that bike and get it to Mike who literally lives across the road from me. So (laughs) it's no big deal. Um, One of the things that we've been talking about is doing something to kind of um, serve our community a little more, which was uh, like a bike tune-up day uh, here in Smithville of, of all the places. I'm looking forward to to that. I'm looking forward to doing something kind of a little bit more to kind of help out to get to see those kids smiling faces to kind of get kids riding again because we're all we're all putting on more weight than we should be these days, you know, Uh, it'd be nice to be a little bit more more active. So if you um, if you are a follower of Way Niagara on any of our socials, keep your eyes open. We are planning to be doing this uh, bicycle tune up day. Uh, here in west lincoln and um, we invite you to come and bring a bike we'll have a bunch of bikes as well that uh, are lingering here that we can if you need a bike we we might have one for you if you want to trade one in trade up whatever we'll be uh, happy to do that so uh, keep keep listening to our podcast keep following us on social media and uh, thank you mike for pumping in um, today stopping by and uh sharing your passion for bicycling and seeing kids riding. Well, thank you very much for having me, and
3: uh, it was great to be here. Anything that we can do to get the word out to people, and uh, my big thing is I just want to keep people rolling, so the more the merrier. Awesome. Thanks, Mike. Thank you.
0: I just find it so inspiring to hear the stories of people that are using their passions and interests to be able to bless Others. And so I really did appreciate this conversation with Chris and his guest, Mike Alexander. And this brings us to the end of today's episode. Now, be sure to tune in next time as we continue the conversation on the book, What If Jesus Was Serious About the Church. Now, there are five sections to this book, and today's conversation concluded part one, The Family Reunion. And next time, we're going to start. Section two, which is called the family meal. And we're also going to have a really impactful conversation about how we relate with the indigenous people around us. There has been a lot of conversation around that in the last number of years. With the federal government's Truth and Reconciliation Commission. And so I have a really special guest that I think you're gonna love and is gonna really inspire us towards practical, Jesus centered living, not only with Indigenous people, but with all people. And with that, I just wanna invite you to continue to follow along with our journey here on the Way Niagara podcast. Go to wayniagara.ca or join us on Facebook. Of course, subscribe on whatever platform you are listening to be sure that you never miss an episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. Bye for now.